This is number seven in this series of last day events. First, I would like to invite you to pray with me, to pray for heavenly guidance as we consider this most important subject. Our Heavenly Father, may this speaker be anointed with thy Holy Spirit that he may touch the heart of every listener, that they too may feel thy mighty power opening up their mind to comprehend what must be accomplished by thy grace, that we may be ready for the final crisis so soon to burst upon us. How we long to remain steadfast in Christ with full assurance of victory. And we ask this petition in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I have a personal conviction that every sermon should be established on a foundation of God's Word. So permit me to read from both the Old and the New Testament several texts revealing that the entire Bible teaches perfectionism. First, let us turn to Deuteronomy 18, verse 13. Quote, Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. Unquote. Again, I read in 1 Kings 8, 61. Let your heart, therefore, be perfect with the Lord our God. And now turning to the New Testament where Christ spoke in Matthew 5, 48 when he said, Be therefore perfect even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And you may ask, how is this to be accomplished? Well, John tells us in 1723 when he tells us of the words of Christ when he spoke, I in thee, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. And Paul sums it all up in 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves with all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now as an introduction, let us begin by having a clear understanding of what is meant by the word perfectionism. I'm reading from Webster's Collegiate Dictionary, and I quote, Perfectionism, the doctrine that perfection of moral character constitutes a person's highest good. The theological doctrine that a state of freedom from sin is attainable on earth. A disposition to regard anything short of perfection as unacceptable. Unquote. 
And may I add my simple definition? Perfection of character is obedience to God's law through the enabling power of Jesus Christ. Now, there are many today who ridicule perfectionism among the saints and even upon, among God's ministry. Could it be that they do this because they seek to stifle the convictions of the Holy Spirit? Because of some cherished sin in their lives? Is this why they declare that perfect obedience is a fanatical idea? Because it is too great a sacrifice to forsake sin in order to be acceptable to God? Oh, yes. They want to be saved. There's no doubt about that. But they also want to keep their cherished sin. I believe that perfection of character is an end-time accomplishment which is taking place in the lives of God's saints now, today. Now, first, and in this order of perfectionism, at the top of the list comes the perfection of our characters. This is not something that takes place instantly, but rather the perfecting process of character is an ongoing process, a day-by-day -day experience that is occurring now even while I am speaking. Perfectionism has to do with the National Sunday Law, which is quickly followed by the judgment of the living. It is during this time that every living being will have to make an intelligent choice to observe the Seventh-day Bible Sabbath in obedience to the God of heaven and earth, or to keep the first day Sunday in honor of the papacy and bowing down to their authority to change the seventh-day Sabbath to the first day, honoring the worship of their sun god. The decision for obedience to God's law makes it possible for God to immediately place upon the righteous the seal of God and blot out their past sins and perform their marriage to the Lamb within the most holy place of heaven's sanctuary. And as soon as this is accomplished, the latter rain immediately falls upon the sealed saints and the loud cry begins. But let us not forget that while this is taking place, the wicked have made their choice for rebellion and have received the mark of the beast, which is immediately followed by the outpouring of Satan's wonder-working power. But before we proceed further in our study, there are a few erroneous teachings regarding the overcoming of sin which I believe need to be discussed at this point. First, the false teaching 
that we can resist sin in our own strength. And number two, the false teaching, which is the very opposite, that it is impossible to resist or overcome sin in this life until Jesus comes the second time. So we will continue in our sins until he returns, at which time, by some magical power, he will remove the lifelong habits of sin. Let us pause here to discuss these two vicious lies. You will distinctly remember that our Lord declared of his humanity that he could do nothing of himself, for he was wholly dependent upon his Father. Remember his words? John 5.30 I can of mine own self do nothing. Likewise, neither can we overcome sin of ourselves, for it is only by and in Christ's power that we can obey what he has asked us to do in his holy word. Just as Christ was victorious over sin in his humanity, through the power of his Father, so we, by faith in Christ, can keep all of his commands. Now, while it is true that Jesus died to save us from sins, we experience such salvation only by accepting him and abiding in him continually as Jesus abode with his Father. Remember what we read in one of our texts at the beginning when he said, I in thee and thou in me. This was the secret formula in his life for overcoming sin. And it should be the formula that we follow in our daily life to gain victory. It was thus that Jesus was able to forgive us of our sins and share us with his everlasting grace, which justifies us of our past sins, so that we may stand before God as though we had never sinned. Praise God for such marvelous love and mercy in his plan of salvation. And there is one more thing that is needed. The enabling grace of sanctification, which gives us the power to daily live righteously, enabling us to resist sin here and now. But even this is no assurance for tomorrow's need, because Christianity is a new experience each day in which we must receive a fresh outpouring of God's power to resist sin. This is why we are never to say or to feel that we are saved now. For the act of being saved comes only at death or at the end of probation. For keep in mind, it is right living now today that is important.
We are not to be concerned about tomorrow. Isn't that what Jesus meant when he said in Matthew 6:36, Take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought of the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Our actual salvation or redemption does not take place until Jesus comes. And then it is given only to those who have been faithful to the very end. There is only one path to heaven, and that is the path of the cross and the sanctuary. Each day we are to take up the cross by faith and obedience and to follow Christ into the heavenly sanctuary where he ministers his grace anew to all who ask for it. So, let us never forget this false teaching that is being taught that no one can resist sin or put away sin until Jesus comes. It is a lie. And furthermore, it is an evil teaching that those who attempt now by the grace of God to put away sin in their lives are legalists. Only the doctrine of Satan could attempt to deceive the saints in this manner. For both the Bible and the spirit of prophecy teach that through Christ we can overcome sin and do it now. Every wind of false doctrine is blowing today upon God's remnant, just as our prophet warned us. So it should be no surprise that there are other similar errors being taught, such as this third error, which is so appealing to so many of the saints today that they may continue in their sins until the latter rain removes them. The following message taken from early writings explains why this is absolutely impossible. I'm reading page 71. I saw that many were neglecting the preparation so needful and were looking to the time of refreshing and the latter rain to fit them to stand in the day of the Lord and to live in his sight. Notice these words. Oh, how many I saw in the time of trouble without a shelter. Why? They had neglected the needful preparation. Therefore, they could not receive the refreshing that all must have to fit them to live in the sight of a holy God. Those who refuse to be hewed by the prophets and fail to purify their souls in obeying the whole truth and who are willing to believe that their condition is far better than it really is will come to the time of the falling of the plagues and then see that they needed to be hewed and squared for the building. But there will be no time then to do it and no mediator to plead their cause before the Father. 
before this time, the awful solemn declaration has gone forth. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. Revelation 22:11. And then follows these words. I saw that none could share the refreshing unless they obtained the victory over every besetment, over pride, selfishness, the love of the world, and over every wrong word and action. And then there is another error being spread about today, which teaches that we cannot put away our sins until the judgment passes from the dead to those who are now living. Now, while it is true that when the investigated judgment occurs, the sins of the righteous will be blotted out. But this is only possible because such saints have put away their sins through the power of God. And I can personally testify to the joy that one experiences to feel the daily approval of Jesus as day by day he gives me victory through his grace. Let the new theology teachers call us legalists, but we are experiencing victory in our daily lives over words and actions. We know by experience the joy and the peace which comes from Jesus. And as we near the end, there is one more, a fifth deadly error that will become more prominent as some will teach that they already have found full perfection of character. For they have not sinned for days, weeks, months, and even years. Friend, beware of such. Flee from them, for they are under the delusion of Satan, and sooner or later they become involved in sexual sins. And you too will be involved if you listen to them. In summary of these five false theories, I can say in these few words that apart from Christ, we are nothing. We are lost, captives of Satan. But if we are in Christ, we will be obedient and in his strength, we will be gaining new victories every day now. So much for these false theories. I believe we are now ready to consider some Spirit of Prophecy quotations that will give us the guidelines for perfecting our characters that we may be ready to see Jesus. First and of utmost importance is the fact that Christ is waiting for us 
to cooperate with him in getting rid of our sins. Here's a quotation from God's Amazing Grace, page 319. Quote, God has arranged his plans so, to, so as to accomplish nothing in the restoration of the human race without the cooperation of the human with the divine. The part man is required to sustain is immeasurably small, yet in the plan of God it is just that part that is needed to make the work a success." Unquote. So, if we would make God's grace our own, we must act our part in salvation's plan. In this, there must be no misunderstanding. Inspiration explains it in this way. I am reading from Message to Young People, page 147. The Lord does not purpose to perform for us either the willing or the doing. His grace is given to work in us to will and to do, but never as a substitute for our effort. Our souls are to be aroused to cooperate the Holy Spirit works in us that we may work out our own salvation." Unquote. So you see, man cannot save himself by any works or by faith alone, yet God cannot save us from our sins without our full cooperation. In volume 5 of the Testimonies, page 514, it is for you to yield up your will to the will of Jesus Christ. And as you do this, God will immediately take possession and work in you to will and to do his good pleasure. Your whole nature will then be brought under the control of the Spirit of Christ. Even your thoughts will be subject to him. You cannot control your impulses, your emotions, as you may desire, but you can control the will, and you can make an entire change in your life. How? By yielding up your will to Christ, your life will be hid with Christ in God and allied to the power which is above all principalities and powers. You will have strength from God that will hold you fast to his strength and a new light, even the light of living faith, will be possible to you but you must cooperate with God's will, unquote. Now I hear someone say, Brother Nelson, can you explain this a little further, how we are to cooperate? Yes. First, we must acknowledge our guilt. 
in Selected Messages 326. The only reason that we have not remission of sins is that we have not acknowledged to him whom we have wounded by our transgressions, whom we have pierced by our sins, that we are at fault and of need of mercy. Now such an experience can come only as we come to the cross and comprehend what is meant when we look up and say Christ died for our sins. For it is impossible to look upon our crucified Lord on the cross and not be filled with sorrow for our sins. Paul understood this. Listen, 2 Corinthians 7.10. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. And Ellen White adds these words in Desire of Ages 300. As we look upon him whom we have pierced, we mourn for the sins that have brought about anguish upon him. Such mourning will lead to the renunciation of sin. And friend, this involves separation, a putting away of a gaining victory over sin. And praise God, it can be done now. Here is where believing steps in. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 431. We must believe that he accepts and pardons us. Faith is the hand by which the soul takes hold upon the divine offers of grace and mercy. The following gems of Holy Scripture should ever sustain us. John twenty twenty seven. Do not be faithless, but believing. Mark nine twenty three. All things are possible to him who believes. Matthew nine twenty nine. According to your faith, be it done to you. Now, let us consider how the ministry of Christ in heaven's sanctuary is needed to develop our character perfection. You see, the purpose of the sanctuary system is to teach us how to get rid of sin and obey the law of God. Let me read to you what I consider to be one of the most important quotations found in the book of Great Controversy, page 424. Light was to be given, directing minds to the temple of God in heaven. And as they should by faith follow their high priest in his ministration there, new duties would be revealed. Another message of warning and instruction was to be given to the church, said the prophet. Who may abide the day of his coming? Who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purify of silver. He shall purify the sons of Levi, purge them as gold and silver, 
that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Malachi 3, 2 and 3. Those who are living upon the earth when the intercession of Christ shall cease in the sanctuary above are to stand in the sight of a holy God without a mediator. Their robes must be spotless. Their characters <clears throat> must be purified from sin by the blood of sprinkling. Through the grace of God and their own, notice the words, diligent effort, they must be conquerors in the battle with evil. While the investigative judgment is going forward in heaven, while the sins of the penitent believers are from the sanctuary, there is to be a special work of purification. What's that? Of putting away of sin among God's people upon earth. This work is more clearly presented in the message of Revelation 14. When this work shall have been accomplished, the followers of Christ will be ready for his appearing. Unquote. So you can see that the perfecting of our characters should be our utmost aim in life. And praise God, he has made provision for us to reach such a mark. Listen, Acts of the Apostle, page 531. None, oh, I like this, none need fail of attaining in his fear to the perfection of Christian character. Don't you love that promise? By the sacrifice of Christ, provision has been made for the believer to receive all things that pertain to life and godliness. God calls upon us to reach the standard of perfection and places before us the example of Christ's character. Listen closely. In his humanity, perfected by a life of constant resistance of evil, the Savior showed that through cooperation with divinity, human beings may in this life attain to perfection of character. This is God's assurance to us that we too may obtain complete victory. Oh, friend, I like that. And you know, God stands back of every promise. We can do it by his grace. And this means that it's available to all. Acts of the Apostles, page 565. We are not yet perfect, but is our privilege to cut away from the entanglements of self and sin and advance to perfection. Great possibilities, high and holy attainments are placed within the reach of all. But once again, we are brought back to the fact that there must be something done on our part. I like the way it is stated in 
Christ's Object Lessons, page 330. God will accept only those who are determined to aim high. He places every human agent under obligation to do his best. Moral perfection is required of all. <clears throat> Never should we lower the standard of righteousness in order to accommodate inherited or cultivated tendencies to wrongdoing. We need to understand that imperfection of character is sin. All righteous attributes of character dwell in God as a perfect, harmonious whole, and everyone who receives Christ as a personal Savior is privileged to possess these attributes." Unquote. So, as we aim for perfection of character, we must keep in mind that we are to put forth earnest effort. Here is a quotation from the Review, May 30, 1882. We can never see our Lord in peace unless our souls are spotless. We must bear the perfect image of Christ. We shall never attain to this condition without earnest effort. We must strive daily against outward evil and inward sin if we would reach the perfection of Christian character. And why is this? Because there will be no change in the character after Christ comes. In the book Our High Calling, page 278, when Christ shall come, our vile bodies are to be changed and made like his glorious body, but the vile character will not be made holy then. The transformation of character must take place before he comes. Our natures must be pure and holy. We must have the mind of Christ that we may behold with pleasure his image reflected upon our souls. You know, friend, those are solemn words. And this brings me back to the sanctuary where Christ is now making the final atonement for our sins. In the book Great Controversy 623, Now, while our great high priest is making the atonement for us, we should seek to become perfect in Christ. Not even by a thought could our Savior be brought to yield to the power of temptation, Satan finds in human hearts some point where he can gain a foothold. Some sinful desire is cherished by means of which his temptations assert their power. But Christ declares of himself, The prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. John 14.30 Satan could find nothing in the Son of God that would enable him to gain the victory. He had kept his father's commandments and there was no sin in him that Satan could use to his advantage. 
And now hear this. I'm continuing to read. This is the condition in which those must be found who shall stand in the time of trouble. It is in this life that we are to separate sin from us through faith in the atoning blood of Christ. None can neglect or defer this work, but at the most fearful peril to their souls." Unquote. You know, we are often tempted to worry about the coming time of trouble, but this need not be. For God in his holy word has given the example of Jacob as he faced a time of trouble in his life. You remember? Great Controversy, page 620. Had not Jacob previously repented of his sin in obtaining the birthright by fraud, God would not have heard his prayer and mercifully preserved his life. So, in the time of trouble, if the people of God had unconfessed sins to appear before them while tortured with fear and anguish, they would be overwhelmed. Despair would cut off their faith, and they could not have confidence to plead with God for deliverance. But while they have a deep sense of their unworthiness, they have no concealed wrongs to reveal. Their sins have gone beforehand to judgment and have been blotted out, and they cannot bring them to remembrance. You know, I just must say right here, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for revealing to us the secret of having such assurance in the coming last days. Let us meditate on this thought-provoking paragraph which follows. Satan leads many to believe that God will overlook their unfaithfulness in the minor affairs of life. But the Lord shows in his dealings with Jacob that he will in no wise sanction or tolerate evil. All who endeavor to excuse or conceal their sins and permit them to remain upon the books of heaven unconfessed, and unforgiven will be overcome by Satan. And the more exalted their profession and the more honorable their position which they hold, the more grievous is their course in the sight of God and the more sure the triumph of their great adversary. Those who delay a preparation for the day of God cannot obtain it in the time of trouble or in any subsequent time. The case of all such is hopeless." Unquote. So thus we can see that the seal of God will be placed upon those who reach perfection of character. Quote, Are we striving with all our power to obtain the statue of men and women in Christ? 
Are we seeking for his fullness? Ever pressing forward the mark set before toward the mark set before us, the perfection of his character? When the Lord's people reach this mark, they will be sealed in their foreheads, filled with the spirit that will be complete in Christ. And the recording angel will declare, It is finished. That was taken from our High Calling, page 150. And now, will you listen to this appeal from the servant of God found in the Adventist home, page 16? Make your home atmosphere fragrant with tender thoughtfulness. If you have become estranged and have failed to be Bible Christians, be converted, for the character you bear in probationary time will be the character you will have at the coming of Christ. If you would be a saint in heaven, you must first be a saint on earth. The traits of character you cherish in life will not be changed by death or by the resurrection. You will come up from the grave with the same disposition you manifested in your home and in society. Jesus does not change the character at his coming. The work of transformation must be done now. Our daily lives are determining our destiny, unquote. And let me read to you from my favorite book next to the Bible called The Desire of Ages, page 311. God's ideal for his children is higher than the highest human thought can reach. Be therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. This command is a promise. The plan of redemption contemplates our complete recovery from the power of Satan. Christ always separates the contrite soul from sin. He came to destroy the works of the devil, and he has made provision that the Holy Spirit shall be imparted to every repentant soul to keep him from sinning. Did you get that? The ideal Christian character is Christ-likeness. As the Son of Man was perfect in his life, so his followers are to be perfect in their life. And finally, I must share with you this thrilling promise. And I trust that you will keep it in your mind continually. It's so precious to me. It's found in the book Maranatha, page 224. Everyone who by faith obeys God's commandments will reach the condition of sinlessness in which Adam lived before his transgression. Unquote. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. 
Dear God, let us never become discouraged because some may call us legalists, because we cooperate with thee in overcoming sin. For we want to be ready to meet thee face to face. Help us, God, to take hold of the mighty power of divinity and to become victorious over Satan, that we too may live and reign with thee. Amen. May I urge you to listen to this tape several times till the vital truths that are portrayed become a part of you. Think it over as you listen to Sonny Lou, who sings that beautiful song, Justified. Can I be justified?
Since I'm justified 